Most of us have heard the phrase or the saying, with God, all things are possible. And I just want you to know that that is not some catchy phrase that someone who was a believer made up so they could put it on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or mugs and market it and make some money. It actually is a statement or a phrase that appears four times in the scriptures, and they're all in the New Testament. And they all have to do with the fact that God stepped out of heaven and took on a human body and became one of us, yet maintained his full deity and did something special for us. And so we're going to look at those four occasions in the Bible and what we can learn from each one of those because each one kind of points out a different significant thing. So we're just going to get right into it. The first one is the possibility of miracles. And we find this in Luke chapter uh, 1, verses 26 through 38. Now, as you get ready to look there, let's just think a minute about a miracle. Like, what is a miracle? Because we hear sometimes things defined as miracles, and they're really not. So a miracle is not Baker Mayfield leading the Rams... In a last two-minute drive, when he's only been with the team less than 48 hours. I mean, that was amazing. Whether you, whatever you think of Baker Mayfield or the Rams doesn't matter. That was amazing. But that was not a miracle. And a miracle is not in a basketball game with two seconds left, and you're down by two points, and from the three-quarter court, a basketball is launched, and it goes into the net, and you win the game. That's not a miracle, but it's been called that, right? Or I'll even hear announcers like when they're getting down to the end and it looks kind of hopeless for a team, they're like, well, they're praying for a miracle now. <laughs> those, those are things that are amazing and they kind of go against the odds or the possibility or the averages of what might happen, but it's not an impossible thing. But a miracle is something that by human standards is, is not even possible or explainable and yet it happens, and it offers a good outcome. And uh, so actually, let's just take a look. The definition, if you look it up online or in Webster's or whatever you know, form that you use, I looked up the definition of a miracle, and it's this, a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. So again, I just like to try to simplify things, so I just basically put it down. A miracle is an extraordinary event that shows divine intervention in human situations. And that's exactly what we have in the life of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, and his life. And the Bible is full of these interactions these are historical accounts. The Bible is not something that a few guys or guys and gals sat down and said, hey, let's, let's give our thoughts about God and let's put it down in a volume so that people can read and know our thoughts about God. The Bible is actually a collection of historical documents of people who experienced these miracles, these interactions with a divine being that is identified as creator God, 
Again, Jesus himself taught that God is a spirit. And he said those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So again, regardless of the pronoun that, that I use in the Bible, he's referred to as he, but again, he is spirit. He's neither male nor female, though he did create us to be male and female so that we could procreate and continue his glory and all of that. And so, in fact, it's through this very relationship of procreation that God entered the world. In other words, he didn't come into the world floating down in some kind of a flying saucer, or he didn't come into the world floating down uh, as a full-grown human being. He chose to show the importance of procreation through entering this world through a mother's womb, though she was never with a man, that is a miracle. And so the life of Jesus himself is a miracle. He had God or God himself as the father, so to speak. And we're going to read about this in just a moment. And he he chose Mary, a young lady who had never been with a man. She was a virgin. And he did a miracle in her womb. And a child began to develop. And through this procreation, through Mary giving birth, this again shows the importance of God's value of birth and life and reproduction. It was through that birth that God entered the world in flesh and blood. So Jesus becomes the perfect mediator between a holy and righteous God and sinful humanity because he was fully God and fully human. So let's take a look at this because the miracle is all around the announcement of Jesus' birth, the conception and the birth. So here it is, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm going to be reading, by the way, today from the New King James Version, just to give you a little different perspective. I know there's many different English versions out there, and so occasionally I think it's good for us to read some different versions, and and again, the, the truth is still the truth. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She's like, what is going on here? Verse 30, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? In other words, I've never had sexual relations or been sexually intimate with anyone. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Remember I said, Jesus taught God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
And so God's Holy Spirit worked a miracle, something that is impossible by human standards, but divine intervention. He worked a miracle in Mary's womb, and she was able to conceive that egg that was within her. God's Spirit moved upon that, and then that egg developed into an embryo, and God himself enters into humanity uh, through flesh and blood and bone. How can this be since I don't know, know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. There it is. There's the first time that we see that phrase. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God. And it was spoken by the angel about this very miraculous birth and God intervening literally in the affairs of humanity. And this was not done just for one person or one couple or one community. It was God's intervention for you and I today, for all people, for all time. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. In other words, she was receiving it by faith, and the angel departed from her. So the angel reminded Mary of something that we all need to be reminded of from time to time, and that is that all things are possible with God. Another way that translators, some translators have looked at this is that the angel was basically telling Mary, When God speaks, none of his words will ever fail. So you can count on the word of God. With God, all things are possible, and when he makes a promise, he will follow through on that promise. You can count on it. So I want to take just a moment now, and I want you to think, because really, we we have grown up, many people have grown up hearing this, and even if you weren't raised in a religious home, There's a lot of people that hear about prayer, and again, it does matter who you pray to and and those kind of things and what you're praying about. But there is a sense that even the privilege and the opportunity we have to pray is miraculous because what we are doing is we're talking to Creator God and we're asking this God to help us to intervene in our situations. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your, time, your hand how many of you have prayed because I'm, I'm assuming and hoping that most of you have. But there's a sense when we pray and we ask God for something and then it happens. And sometimes it happens in ways that we didn't expect it to, but it happens. There's a sense that that's like a little mini miracle. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Just want to see, take a quick survey here. If you have done that, if you've prayed and asked God for something and he's answered that in some way that has blessed your heart and and, and strengthened your faith in him, can I just see your hand? Lift your hands up. Hold them up. Look Look at that. That's amazing. So we have a lot of testimony right here in this room, almost every hand. I mean, there were so many that came up, I couldn't see any that didn't hold a hand up. There's probably some of you that didn't. But the point is this, God is a God of miracles, and he does care about us, and he answers prayer. And the very fact of the life of Jesus Christ is one of those possibilities, well, let me rephrase that, he is the possibility 
that we need to consider for miracles in our life. I don't know how many of you were, um, are on our email prayer chain. It's, I guess we call it a prayer chain, but anyway, it's an email prayer list that goes out. And so we share when people um, have a prayer request that comes in, and then when we see those, we, we pray for those situations. And again, if any of you have that, you can just simply send an email to prayers at pbcexchange.com, and uh, then that'll, that'll go through to us, and then we'll pray for that. Well, we've had quite a few come through, but one in particular in the last week was about the daughter of Greg and Maria Allen. And um, Greg was here this morning. Their daughter, Stacy, the adult daughter, Stacy Potmeyer, married, has four children. She had a massive stroke in the back of her brain uh, just a little over a week ago. And she had to be life-flighted to Columbus. And we began praying for her. And as we started getting more information about this, and Greg, I was in contact with him, texting back and forth just about every day. He was giving me updates. Um, as it progressed, things became more clear. She had this stroke at home, but had she had this stroke 15 minutes earlier, she would have been driving her four kids home from a basketball game. So even God's grace in the, and again, we can't, it's a mystery. You know, why did she have it at all? But had she had it when she was driving, could you imagine? So God spared her in that, and then she was life-flighted, and she was in really serious condition for a few days. We prayed for stability. We prayed the bleeding would stop, all of that. I'm going to just fast forward. I got a text from Greg the other day that she was being released from the hospital and coming home. And the people in the hospital, this is what Greg texted me. He said, the people in the hospital said she should have perished. So when you got medical people saying, we don't know, we don't know how she has survived, and in fact that she is recovering, I'd say that's a miracle. And there are probably many, there are many that I could share personally over my years of ministry, how God has intervened, and I don't understand why some people do get healed and some don't. I can't, I can't answer that. That's up to God. But I can tell you this. Because of Jesus Christ and because God is a miracle worker, consider the possibility of a miracle in your life and for the people that you care about. The second possibility with God is the possibility of salvation. And we see this now after Christ grew to adulthood and he is doing his public ministry and he's showing the power of God and he is teaching us the way that we should follow him and trust him and how our lives should be changed when his spirit is in our life. And so we see this in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 27. So Jesus is with his disciples here in this setting, and we'll just pick it up in verse 17. Now as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. And that is God. Here again, Jesus is he's kind of asking a question and he's making a teaching point. We all know that God alone is the one that's truly God. Why are you coming to me and calling me good? Is it because maybe you're acknowledging that I am God in the flesh? 
But then he goes on and he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the young man answered and he said, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, there's one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Jesus was challenging this man because even though this man had thought that he was following all of the laws perfectly by honoring his father and mother and uh, by not lying and not stealing and being faithful in his relationship with his wife and all those things, he was leaving out the greatest command, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And Jesus knew he wasn't quite there yet, and he knew that ultimately this man valued his possessions more than he valued a relationship with God, and that's why he was challenging him in this. If you really want to address everything and do it right, you've got to sell the thing that you're clinging on to and trusting. You need to sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor to help people because that's what God would have you to do and then be willing to trust me enough to follow me. Wow. And it says that Jesus loved him as he was challenging in this. Why is it today in our culture when people get challenged with the truth, we want to scream and yell, you don't love me? I've heard stories before of parents who try to discipline their kids and over the years, our kids have probably done this too, but I, you know, it's not about that. But <laughs> they try to discipline their kids, and their kids' response is, you hate me, you don't love me, when in fact it's love that is wanting you and causing you to want to discipline so they can be responsible and they can learn to enjoy life. Can I get an amen, parents? <laughs> But we see that in our culture today, don't we? People don't want to be told they're wrong. They don't want to be told what they're doing is sinful or whatever. And so their response is, you hate me. You don't love me. You don't care about me. When the exact opposite is true, we love enough to speak the truth. And this is what Jesus did to this man because he cared about him. He loved him, but he had to challenge him. He didn't want him to live a lie and miss eternity. The sad thing is, verse 22, but when this man heard that from Jesus, he was sad at his word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus turned around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? This is not about wealthy people not being able to make it into heaven. What Jesus is saying is, as we live this life, there are things that we begin to cling to and we trust in that pulls us away from trusting God. And we start trusting in the temporary things more than we trust in the eternal things. We start trusting in the convenient things more than the things that matter most, again, that are, are eternal. 
So it's a real challenge for us who live here in America because you may not consider yourself rich or wealthy because we always like to see it in relation to other things, right? So we look at somebody that makes $2 million or $5 million and we say, well, they're rich and I'm not. But do you know there are people in other countries that are living in shacks with tin roofs and dirt floors and they would look at you and what you think is your lack of wealth and they would say, oh, I wish I had what they had. They are so wealthy. It's easy to look at this man and say, oh, that that guy, man, he didn't know what he was missing, that poor guy. I wouldn't be like that. Are you willing to give up your cell phone and follow Jesus? Some of you aren't even willing to give a portion of your income into the life of the church or the life of the kingdom work because you want to have that extra dollar or two. Oh, oh, I just stomped on a whole bunch of toes and probably just made a lot of people mad. There he goes, preaching on money again. I hardly ever preach about money, but I want to preach the truth. And in the same way that Jesus challenged this man's trust in his wealth and called him on it, I need to do the same with you and in my own life. So would you be willing to give up 10% of your income and follow Jesus? Would you be willing to give up 5% of your income and follow Jesus? I can't answer that. Only you can. Don't get discouraged because here's the point of this. The disciples... Jesus spoke and said to them how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, and the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. There's the key. See, he's getting on the trust factor. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're trusting in what they have to provide their needs rather than trusting God, who they cannot see, but who offers his presence to help get them through whatever they need in life. And then Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Some Bible scholars have debated. Now, did Jesus really mean the eye of a sewing needle? Because that's just a ridiculous comparison. Why would, why would Jesus do that? There was a gate in Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle. And we think that he was referring to that because that gate, you could get through it. But like if you had a camel, you had to get the, coax the camel to get down on its knees and to go through the, the gate. And so he was teaching a, 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 a metaphor about humility And I don't mean to be demeaning about that view. But the point is, those who argue that are missing the point. Because, let's read a little further. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a man to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples, verse 26, they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? So the disciples understood, this is a hard teaching, Jesus, because what you're talking about is impossible. See, they said, Who can be saved? And then look at Jesus' answer here. Jesus looked at them and said, with people, with mankind, it is impossible. 
So that Jesus made the point, it's irrelevant whether I'm talking about the eye of a sewing needle or a gate in Jerusalem. I'm telling you it's impossible. So I believe he was actually referring to the eye of a sewing needle. That's my view. Because Jesus himself said it's impossible. You cannot do it on your own. But not with God. There it is again. For with God, all things are possible. So I want you to consider the possibility of salvation. Forgiveness of your sins, your wrongdoings, and entering into a right relationship with your creator God, being saved from yourself, saved from your pride, your wrongdoing, your wrong attitudes, rebellious nature. I mentioned last week in the message that we talk about being saved from sin, and, and that is what the Bible teaches. But sin is something within ourselves. It's our tendency to want to rebel against God, go our own way, do our own thing, not be told what to do, not by anyone else or even by God. And so we really need to be saved from ourselves. We want to point the finger at everybody else, but we need to be saved from ourselves because there is something within us that tends to want to go away from God, and that's sin, and we need to be saved from that. And that's what Jesus came to do. And if we just try to do it in our own efforts, it is impossible. We need a change of mind, attitude, heart, spirit, and only Jesus can do that. Have you ever seen anybody that you thought was a hopeless case? You're like, man, there is no way that they're ever going to follow Jesus. There's no way. They're just living a life that's so far out there. But I want you to know that God can take those hopeless cases, even if it seems impossible to us, and he can make it happen. How many of you have seen somebody in your life? Again, I just want to get a little, t- and you probably won't see as many, I don't know, but how many of you have seen somebody you thought was a hopeless case and they came to Christ? Okay, cool. Awesome. Honestly, that's a few more hands than I thought I would see. It is possible because of what Jesus has done. So consider the possibility. Don't give up on that family member that has rejected Christ or maybe doesn't even believe in God or is going through a time in their life right now where they're questioning everything. Just pray for them and do your best without being preachy to just live a life before them that's consistent. Be honest about your weaknesses, your sins, your vulnerability, and yet also talk about the forgiveness and grace you have in Christ. And pray that God will be, use you to be one of those spokespeople in their life, again, without being preachy, but just speaking the truth in love, demonstrating the truth in love. And let God do the work through that. So don't give up. We need to stay committed to this as a church moving forward. And I know we will with Pastor Eric and with our staff and with those God is bringing here in the midst of a culture that is more and more each day drifting away from the word of God and rejecting not just Christians or Christianity, they're rejecting Christ. They're forming their own view of Jesus rather than actually reading the scriptures to see what Jesus taught and who he is. And as the culture drifts more and more, we as followers of Jesus need to stay grounded in what Christ's teachings are and who he is, and what he offers. We need to consider the possibility of salvation and heart change and life change through Christ.
The third possibility with God, and the third time we see this, is in Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 27. And this is the possibility of restoration. So let's pick it up in verse 17. Here again, Jesus is traveling. He's preaching. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son. He, he has a mute spirit. In other words, he couldn't speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when Jesus saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And often... He has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believe. Here's this statement again. And it's all about God who intervened in the affairs of mankind. Humanity stepped out of heaven, took on flesh and blood. And here he is in this moment speaking to this man saying, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And this is the part that really touches me, and this is here for a reason in the scriptures. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't know about you, but that has been a prayer I've prayed many times in my life. And even as your pastor, when people ask me to pray for something, I feel the weight of that. I feel like, Lord, okay, they're, they're coming to me, and I know it's all about you, but, but we're coming to you, and, I, and Lord, I want to glorify you, and I want you to glorify yourself. And so, Lord, I'm asking, and I'm believing for this, but there's a part of me inside that's like, but, but Lord, what if this doesn't happen? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Have you ever felt that way? I'm not going to ask you to raise what if this doesn't happen? And I can so relate to this man. Lord, I do believe. I believe you can do anything. I believe all things are possible with you. But, but I confess there's times I have these doubts and my anxieties. And, and sometimes I'm not sure. So please help me with that. Help my unbelief. Strengthen me. Help me to fully trust you. That's what this man was saying. And I love the response of Jesus here because Jesus didn't say, well, you just didn't believe enough, so I'm not going to answer your prayer. Or he didn't reprimand the guy for his lack of faith. Jesus honored this man and his honesty with God. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus responded to this father's request for his son, even though he was admitting to Jesus, I, I got my doubts here, Jesus, but I do believe and I want to believe, so help me. 
and Jesus did. I believe this is in here for a reason. It's in here because God wants you and I to know that at times as followers of Jesus, we're going to have doubts and we're going to be challenged with what we believe. And we need to be honest with God about it to just say what I just said. Lord, I really do believe it and I know I should believe more, but I'm struggling here. So please even help me with that. And that is a prayer, that honesty with God, that God will bless and he will strengthen and he will intervene and he will work in ways that only he can. Now, some of you might say, but I've been honest with God about that and God still hasn't answered my prayer. We're, We're coming to that with this last, all things are possible. But I do wanna take a moment because what happened with this young boy was not just a physical healing. Yes, it was a physical healing, but there was a spiritual dynamic. There is an enemy that we fight against in the world, Satan and his demonic spirits. They are those angels who rebelled against God, and uh, they constantly want to form their own kingdom, and that's a driving force in a lot of what we see in the world today. Any kind of mindset that wants to reject that there's a creator God or there's ways to live other than living under the one who created you, that force, that, that person, Satan, and his demons will try to pull you away from the living God because they want you to worship them. There are scriptures in the Bible that teach that all those who are caught up in adultery or uh, idolatry, and maybe adultery too, but in idolatry, they're actually worshiping demons. Now, they consider them gods, but they're not. They're false gods, they're, they're demons, because I'm gonna digress for just a moment here, but this is also something that is within each, most of us, most people, I think, in each of us in some way. We want to be adored. We want to be liked. Again, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you just would like to be liked? I would like for somebody to like me. And when we look at our entertainment industry, we love to be adored, don't we? That's why awards are given out and we love to see the people get up there and get their awards and how wonderful I am and what I've achieved. Well, Satan takes all that and he, he twists that because he wants to be worshiped and he wants to be adored. And when the creator God wants the attention, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You, want, you need to worship me. Don't worship him. And so we need to be careful when we have that mindset. That was a little digression. I don't know who needed to hear that, but you got it. But about this restoration, so this young boy was delivered from that demonic spirit, and it resulted not only in him having physical health and wholeness now, but he was restored spiritually, and now he could be in a right relationship with his father, his earthly father, because that barrier that had been there, that spiritual force and the thing that had caused his, his illness was out of the way, and now father and son could embrace in love and, and know that their relationship was totally whole and restored. So consider the possibility of restoration in your life or your situation. Maybe it's a broken relationship with someone. Whatever that barrier is, maybe it's a spiritual dynamic. Maybe it is a physical thing. But God is a God who can bring deliverance from that. Tim Craft is a man who was caught up in his teenage and college age years to addiction to heroin and other drugs. He stood on this stage and he gave his testimony a few years ago. He was in a hotel room. 
sick from his addiction, literally physically sick, and he wanted to die. He wanted his life to be over. And in that hotel room when he was hopeless, there was a knock at the door, and it was someone who found out he was there that cared about him, and they knocked and they knocked and they pounded until they got in. He let him in, and that person started Tim on a journey of recovery, coming to the Lord, accepting Christ as Savior, getting delivered from his addiction. And to this very day now, Tim Craft in our mid-Ohio Valley, Valley area here has a ministry called High on Hope. And he preaches about this restoration that God alone can bring. It's a miracle. Worked a miracle in Tim's life. And he wants others to know that they can experience that miracle too. As God works through people and he works through his Holy Spirit. There's many testimonies I could share of that. So we need to consider the possibility of restoration, again, all because of Jesus. And then the fourth and the final one is the possibility of what I call distressful trust. And this is one of the hardest ones. It's being able to trust God and surrender to his will in obedience, even in the darkest and most difficult times of your life, and even if you have not seen God answer prayers to this point. Jesus Christ, once again, when he speaks this, it's in the Garden of Gethsemane when he went to pray. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew that he was going to suffer rejection. He knew that he was going to suffer abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, torture, He knew that he was going to be nailed to a cross and he was going to experience a terrible physical death. And so he prayed about it and he took his disciples and particularly three of the closest disciples. And we see this in Mark chapter 14, verse 33. And he, Jesus, took Peter, James, and John with him and he began to be deeply troubled and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch. Or in other words, I I want you guys to be here and to pray with me. Please stay here and pray with me. Pray for me. He went a little further and he fell on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. Again, that word Abba is an affectionate term, like a little child coming to a parent, like to a dad and saying, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. There it is. The, next, the last time that it's recorded, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, what, not what I will, but what you will be done. This is amazing. And I want you to consider the possibility that even with knowing that all things are possible with God and you may ask him for things and you may want things to happen and they may not happen, consider the possibility of still trusting God in the midst of that even when things don't go your way. That is an amazing trust and Jesus models it for us here. Jesus was saying, God, if there's any other way for humanity to be saved, then please do it because I know what I'm facing and I don't want to have to go through it. And I know all things are possible with you. So if there's any other way, then do it. But nevertheless, Lord, I'm going to do what you want. Your will be done, not mine. 
And God's answer to that prayer was, you're gonna need to do it because there is no other way. It is impossible without you. And Jesus was faithful. He gave his life for you and me on the cross. That's why the Bible says, how can we neglect so great a salvation? It's why the Bible teaches us the truth that there's no other way to enter into a right relationship with God, your creator God, than through faith in Jesus Christ. Because God, your creator, has done everything he could to provide this amazing universe, to give evidence that there is intelligent design. He's given us enough clues, and then he made a plane through Christ coming into the world, taking on flesh and blood and walking among us and demonstrating his power, and then even being willing to die for you to show his love for you. And he says, if you don't believe that, then there's nothing that's gonna reach you. How can we neglect so great a salvation? There's no other means of salvation left if you reject Christ. Christ is the only way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me because he was the Father in the flesh. And three days later, Christ rose from the dead to prove what he said was true and to show his power. I don't know if this is subconscious, whether I thought up of this or it was something I saw, but if you take the letters trust, T-R-U-S-T, I think of it in this way. Real trust is total reliance, T-R, total reliance under stressful times, T-R-S-T, T-R-U-S-T, total reliance under stressful times, and that reliance needs to be on God. The other thing that hit me as I was reading this, preparing this message, is that stance that Jesus took in the Garden of Gethsemane is reminiscent and flashes back to in the Old Testament when there were three Jewish boys. There was actually four. Daniel was one of them, but then the other three, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that was their Hebrew names, but they were captured by people from Babylon when the political climate uh, war was going on. The Babylonians came into Jerusalem, defeated Jerusalem and the Jewish people and carried a lot of their young people back to Babylon in order to train them up and, and make them part of their civilization and their culture. And three of those young men, like I say, Daniel was one. We read about him and his writings. But the other three was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because that was their Babylonian name that was given to them. And do you remember the account where it says that those three men, they came out of that Jewish culture, but they wanted to honor God, even though they were now entering into an ungodly culture. And so the, the, those in authority, and especially the king, they had their way of worshiping, and they set up an idol, and they said, everybody needs to worship this idol. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we can't do that. We worship the one true God, and we're not going to bow down to these idols that you've created. And so the king got really upset and said, if you don't bow down, then you're going to be put to death. You're going to be cast into a furnace of fire. And they said, king, we believe that God, the God who created us, is able to save us from that. But here's the thing. Even if he doesn't, just know that we're not going to bow down to that idol. We're going to still worship the one true God. That is the same type of attitude that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
God, even if you don't answer this prayer, I know all things are possible with you, but I want your will to be done, not mine. So I'm going to do what you want to do. Now, how does that apply to you and I today? We're living in a culture that is constantly pressing on us and putting things before us and saying, bow down to this. Bow down to this cultural movement. Bow down to this cultural trend. I know the Bible says this, but no, you bow down to what we tell you to do because if you believe what the Bible says, you're a hater and you don't approve of what I'm doing. And the world says bow. And we need to pray and say, God, all things are possible with you. Save us from this perverse generation. But even if you won't, we will not bow. There, we're, we're living right now in a time that is very crucial. I don't preach on this as much as I should, but we are closer today to the end times and Christ's return than we were yesterday. And we're a lot closer now than we were three years ago or five years ago. And if you're a student of the word of God, the word says that we as followers of Jesus are to watch and to pray and to stand. And we're going to be called haters and we're going to be told we're unreasonable and we're closed-minded, but we need to keep our eyes on God. God can deliver us and he can turn this nation around, but even if he doesn't, we need to stand. So consider the possibilities. What is it in your life that you need? Do you need a miracle? Do you need salvation? Maybe God somehow will use this message today to touch your heart and help you realize that you need to yield your life over to Christ. You've been holding on to other things and it's caused you to drift away from following Christ closely and you need to be willing to give that up and follow Christ. Trust him fully. Ask him for the forgiveness of sins. Yield your life to him and he will do it because all of his promises stand. They will not fail. And he's promised us forgiveness and a relationship with him through faith in Christ. Maybe you need restoration in your life or praying for someone who needs that restoration. And again, maybe you just need to trust God through a real tough time right now, a difficult time with God. All those things are possible. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it, it really does challenge us, but Lord, it also encourages us. And even today, as I've shared this, this word from you, Lord, we've seen evidence of answers to prayer. We've seen evidence of miracles that you continue to work in our lives. And, and Lord, we've got to stop playing the game of saying one thing and living another thing. We've got to stop playing the game of coming to church and checking the box and then going back out in the world and just doing what everybody else says. Forgive us, Lord, as your followers. We've claimed to be your followers, but it seems like sometimes the only time we follow you is for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning and then we go our own way. Forgive us. Please help us, Lord, to follow you in a way that honors you and also demonstrates your true love to those who disagree with us to those who would speak ill of us. Lord, help us to not return insult for insult, but to simply live a life that you've called us to. 
and to consider all the possibilities that you have given us through Christ Jesus. For it's in your name, Jesus, we ask this. Amen. As we sing this closing song, if you'd like to come up for prayer, I'll be up here and there'll be others who'd be happy to pray.